right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 143. It is Tuesday night. This is when we like to talk to you. So if you want to talk about college football, feel free to hit request. We'll have a nice conversation about what's going on. And I am happily having this one out here in the lovely, well, <laughs> lovely state, <laughs> the lovely nation of Canada. Let's see here. I've got JV. He's going to be co-hosting with me. Going to send him an invite. And let's talk college football. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and send my customary request tweet. If you want to join us, just hit request on the Twitter app and we'll get you up here and we can talk about what's going on in college football. But before we begin, JV, what's going on? It's been a minute. Yeah, it has been a uh, very hot minute over the last five months or so. Apparently, uh, if you have a kid, change a job, are doing a full semester of grad school, uh, moving locations, and doing a bunch of stuff in between all that, uh, apparently you get a little bit busy. So apologize for being a little MIA, but happy to sneak out for this one tonight. Absolutely. And again, it's been a nice kind of time right now. Lots of off-season news, especially we've got all the regular stuff going on. In addition to trying to figure out as teams get ready for the season, you've got all the potential conference moves because we're still in this weird waiting period to see what's going to happen with the Pac-12 and their media deal. NIL news just keeps getting stranger only because we seem to be heading towards an unexpected climax where we're going to find out exactly how far courts and the government are going to take NIL rules that are starting to blur the line between what was a university and what's a uh, an institution that might be paying athletes in, in everything but name. Um, we talked a bit about that last week. You know, in addition, there's other things, too. I mean, I just want to take one moment. I took a second today because I'm here in Vancouver area just to drive over to a campus I'd always wanted to see. I planned to come out here and then... They go and drop football this past season. But Simon Fraser, which is out in suburban Vancouver in Burnaby, it's got it had a D2 football team. They were the only D2, the only Canadian football team in the NCAA. They've got their own league out here for uh, college football in, I guess it's called the University Sports, um, U Sports. But yeah, it was neat to see the campus. It's really cool. It's all brutalist in a, in a level I've never seen before before outside of the Soviet Union, but uh, it was real neat, but it was sad because they had a brand new stadium, and of course, they've got, uh, they, they, they had to drop the program. And why did they have to drop the program? Because of actually conferences, conference maneuvers. D2 conferences, especially on the West Coast, were starting to tighten up a little bit. All their conference mates joined the Lone Star Conference, which as you can guess is out in Texas, and they weren't given an invite because it's so hard to get teams, especially D2 teams, out to Canada. So they've got all their other sports, but football, they just weren't going to be able to find those opponents. So that one got dropped. You know, J.D., we've got a guest who wants to come up. Let's go ahead and let him up. Let's talk some college football with Big Mac. going to go ahead and let you up right now. And when you get up here, just feel free to hit on mute and we'll hear from you. Oh, how we doing? How we doing? Um, Great, man. How are you? Uh, never better, never better. I'm here from sunny New England, uh, and I just wanted to, you know, one shout out to U Sports. Uh, a lot of fr- actually I have a lot of friends who play for the University of Calgary for some reason. Go Dinos! Um, yes, one of the great mascots in college athletics. Um, but also, you know what? I just wanted to. I just wanted to say, how are we feeling about Boston College next year? You know what I mean? I feel like you know the team definitely struggled last year, but. You know, 
I think that remade O-line, they've had some success on the recruiting trail. I, I think this team could realistically win seven games. Am I completely delusional? I well, know they, they've, yes, got, they've got some great running backs that are all returning. And as you said, that offensive line, if you can stay together, that's, that's a one-two combination that's huge. Um, now, they got a new head coach, though, don't they? I mean, they've got... Um, BC, BC did not. BC's sticking with Halfley. Okay, yeah, so probably a Halfley second season. I always mix up which what season some of the guys are Fourth in. Fourth season. Fourth season, believe it or not. It's amazing he's made it this far. Wow. <laughs> 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 but, yeah, I mean, so, and then what? Emmett Moorhead, he's the QB right now. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, what, so let's see here. What, hmm, seven, seven wins doesn't seem all that out, out of... Out I can see seven. I can see seven. I mean, just looking at the schedule right now, you've got a couple of easy ones in non-conference. You've got Holy Cross as your FCS hey, hey, that's game. You're going to play UConn. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> but I'm just going to say, if Halfley can't beat Holy Cross in year four, he's probably not going to see a year five. Uh, but uh, Holy Cross, I think that's going to be a win for you all. Northern Illinois, you've got that opportunity. UConn and Army, uh, those are games that are also winnable. Uh, so really, looking just at the non-conference, you should see four pretty decent wins that I would give Boston College the edge on. Uh, and then you'll have games like against Syracuse. Virginia Tech is coming off a woeful two-win season. Uh, you've got other teams in the ACC that are still trying to find their new cadence. Georgia Tech is going into uh, a new year. Uh, Jeff Brom in his first year at Louisville is going to be overhauling that program. I think out of all of those, I don't think it's unreasonable for Boston College to try to find seven wins out of this upcoming season. Oh, cheers. Thank you. Yeah, man. Thank you. <laughs> so, again, if you'd like to uh, to join in, uh, any questions, we welcome them all about college football. It's Tuesday night. It's when we like to hear from you. Um, you know, one of the things that kind of caught my eye, and this is sort of on the lighter note, we're a lot of fun. Again, it's off season. Folks like to bring up kind of fun conversations on our CFB, one of which was some of the dumbest college football rivalries. And this one Louisville fan really had a problem. And I don't know why with the Illibuck, you know, Illinois versus Ohio State. He was, I guess, hearing how the Big Ten is going to lock in some of those rivalries that they've said they are going to. They're going to apparently play every year again soon, and he thinks he could care uh, less about it, um, I, But although he acknowledges it's a cool turtle trophy. So if that's another potential generator of topic of conversation, there's a you know, rivalry you never understood. We'd love to hear that, too. I mean, J.D., is there a college football rivalry you don't understand? I mean, how long do we want to go about the civil conflict? Okay, that's that's not bad, although that is a great... I, the only thing that made that rivalry, and for those who may have forgotten, that is UConn versus UCF, um, which which mysteriously started uh, and, and was kind of forced in the American for a while there. And um, yeah, it was funny. Which coach was the one that was obsessed with it? One of the coaches really... That was Bob Diaco. Yeah. That was well, Bob Diaco up at UConn. And of course, like the best part of that quote unquote rivalry was uh, them just completely abandoning the trophy after winning uh, one of the games. And then for a while, uh, it just being in the other of nobody knew where that trophy actually went. Only one school even cared about trying to find it again. Uh, and I just think that's absolutely hilarious if we're going to talk about dumb rivalries because the best dumb rivalries aren't the ones that are actually like 
real and truly dumb. Like, I mean, you could always make an argument of, yes, like you see a bunch of dumb stuff when you have like Louisville, Cincinnati, for example. But that's an actual historical rivalry where they do a battle for a rivalry trophy. Uh, and there's actual historical significance behind that type of rivalry. Uh, there's dumb stuff that happens in it. And I mean, you could say that with a lot of other things. I mean, kick six anyone between Auburn and Alabama. Uh, but when it comes to like the true real dumb rivalries, they are always the ones that are completely one-sided and the other side does not even remotely care about it whatsoever. They don't engage in any of that history and tradition. Uh, that's always the best kind of dumb rivalry. Yeah, I, I agree. The ones that are annoying are the ones that seem manufactured. I, I didn't even know about some of the ones that were brought up in our CFB, like the Florida State fan dog girl brought up the fact that I guess the Knowles have a rivalry with for, with UVA for a trophy. I, I, I didn't even know about it. Um, the Jefferson Epps trophy. So I guess you learned a little bit you know, about random things and all of that stuff. You know, and oh gosh, one piece of news though, I do want to just sort of congratulate because we've been touching on this here and there. I've said this before, but USF South Florida has been so, you know, they've been deliberate and and gradual through this entire process because they've really wanted an on-campus stadium, and they haven't been making, you know, enormous splashes. They've been sort of saying, okay, we're gonna for literally, I'd swear it's been two years now. They were like, okay, we're going to start looking into the possibility of a stadium. We're going to commission a report. They wouldn't say anything more about it. The report would come out. The report said we're going to move forward to finding an estimate. They would move forward with it. Now we need to find a location. Months would pass again. They look forward to it. So we've been creeping towards this point. And so the big news that came out today is, is sort of the culmination of that, or at least a major step in that spot, that the UCF, me, the USF Board of Trustees has approved the plan for a new $340 million on-campus football stadium. That was reported in multiple places. Matt Baker over at the Tampa Bay Times is a great um, follower of RCFB. He's even been willing to discuss some of his own articles with some of the readers on the, uh, on the website. But um, he... Uh, he broke that news today, and I think that's really interesting because that's going to be—I think that's going to be a big changer for them because UCF made all the right choices, and it's fun to think back, you know, to 2007, that wacky season where USF managed to briefly climb to number two in the BCS rankings before losing, like so many other BCS number twos did that year. After that season, I would have expected if you had just stopped it right there, USF would have been the one to be, you know, joining the Big Twelve this upcoming season, but due to a series of, you could argue, coaching misfires and also UCF kind of taking a different approach. They managed to build an on-campus stadium. I forgot what it's called right now. I still want to call it Bright House. I know they changed it. I know they call it the uh, the Jump House or something like that. But um, they managed to build an on-campus stadium. Obviously, they had that wild year where they went undefeated. So that kind of, I think, built their reputation while USF is sort of languished. They play, obviously, where the Buccaneers play. So it's not like they have a bad stadium. It's just not quite on that campus. And they've got, like, so many of those public universities in Florida, just a ton of students. So I think they're hoping that building a 35,000-seat stadium on campus is going to be giving them that that push that the Bulls are looking for. You know, I noticed, uh, uh, Big Mac, did you want to add something to that? Sorry, I just want to say, um, I think the bounce house. That's, that's what they call it. Yes, thank you. Correct, correct. Yeah, so I should know this. Uh, we got a guy, uh, and he sometimes joins us up here, Anthony, who's who's quite good about uh, all this stuff. But uh, uh, um, so, uh, 
Yeah, anyway, so that that's big news for USF. We're looking forward to seeing how that moves forward. Obviously, it'll probably get some corporate names. Some, who knows what it's going to be called right now. But uh, it'll be good for, I think, USF to get that on-campus stadium that they've been working for for so long. Um, JD, what I got to ask, because it's been a little while, what story has struck you the most in the past couple of months? I think the story that struck me the most over the last couple of months, at least college football-wise, um, I'm really intrigued uh, with the full-on push of Charlie Baker at the NCAA trying to get congressional buy-in uh, for regulation throughout the sport. We knew that was going to be a major part of his presidency, and it's why they brought him in. He was a very popular uh, bipartisan governor who has a lot of contacts in D.C., but to see how strongly the NCAA has put uh, their entire uh, fortunes and favor uh, for the future into making sure that he can actually get stuff done at the congressional level. I think it's been fascinating to see where they've been uh, advocating for NIL rules on the state level, where they've been advocating for uh, regulations and uh, monopoly trusts and all this kind of stuff in Congress. That's always been really, really fascinating to me uh, in this offseason because I've strongly felt, and I mean, we've talked about this at length in previous shows before, we're all about making sure that the guys who are putting in the work have an opportunity to get part of the pie, right? They have the opportunity to make some money because they're the ones putting their bodies on the line. They're the one bringing in the product. Let them have it. Let them have the opportunity to change schools if they need to go change schools. Uh, but if the NCAA wanted to do something about it, they've had the opportunity to do something about it for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. Uh, but now they're at the Hail Mary of praying to Congress and getting that done. But to see... Uh, the strategies that Charlie Baker has been coming out with and like the full score press uh, almost as a last ditch effort. Uh, there's a couple of lawsuits that are now making their way up towards the Supreme Court. I think that's going to be a fascinating turn for the NCAA in the future. And I think that is hands down uh, the story of the offseason so far. Yeah. And I think that's that you you covered some of those key moments in all of that. This is in the way the fact that the NCAA sort of for whatever reason, just decided to not address this topic until it was the genie was out of the bottle. They're trying what amounts to a Hail Mary by trying to get Congress to step in. Now, I've mentioned it before. There's there's uh, there's pluses and minuses to this. And, and it's easy to see why I think part of the problem, um, <laughs> because they a lot of big coaches went to D.C. Uh, in the past week or so. You know, Nick Saban was one of them, you know, to go talk about some of these thoughts in all of it. And one of the concerns is, you know, when people hear someone like a, a Kirby Smart or Nick Saban saying we need to be all on the same playing field, people are like, you guys always win everything. That's ridiculous. So I think in a way, part of the reason, part of the problem is they're the most, they get the attention of con con congressional members when they come and speak to them because, wow, Nick Saban's coming to speak to me. But at the same time, you know, it's it, people kind of look down on what they're saying. But I I've mentioned before, but what we're seeing now, like Texas's law just went and was just signed by the governor. All these states are passing such different rules from each other. There's actually another cloud that's starting to appear. And we had a really great caller last week who was actually just finished writing a law review article on this, um, a comment as a student, because um, you have to read a ton of law articles to put one of these together. The big concern is these states are in a rush to please their constituents and please their coaches. And coming up with all these wacky rules could potentially accidentally erode, completely erode any semblance of uh, athletes aren't, you know, the student athletes aren't employees, which is barely holding on right now. 
and some of these states are passing rules where a court's going to eventually potentially just say, this is an employee relationship. You're all employees. And so I think part of the reason what Charlie Baker, and remember, he's, yeah, he's the NCAA president. He's like a sports commissioner. There's a thousand members of the NCAA. He's basically speaking on their behalf. And in fact, to his credit, I remember there was an article that came out Basically, some side, uh, some uh, insults of Mark Emmert because some, some guys were like, I actually saw this guy, Charlie Baker. He actually, we talked to him. We couldn't even believe it kind of moment. But what we're hearing from him, it's it's basically kind of, I think, a sense of all of these these uh, universities are a little nervous about what could happen if, if this doesn't happen. While, don't get me wrong, if you're in Mizzou right now, this is awesome. You are the only state, uh, you're the only FBS program in a state that allows high schoolers that commit to your school to get NIL deals. No, no team allows that. No school can allow that. Florida was so thrilled because in February they were able to revise their NIL laws to make it less stringent. And then Oklahoma, Mizzou, and now Texas, which is closer to the Oklahoma laws, have all passed saying like the NCAA can't even enforce their rules in our state. In fact, I think Oklahoma wrote theirs in a way that means the SEC can't even enforce their rules in their state. So you get all kinds of wackiness and all of this. And you can imagine, like, if you're a D3 program and all of this, and you're watching the uh, the SEC states, all 11 of them racing to to loosen up these rules so much, you could eventually find yourself in a position where it's like, wait, we have employees now? We can't, you know, these a lot of these athletic programs, they're, they're fighting, you know, and D3 is great, you know, great example of it. You know, a lot of programs, they're the ones that like to add programs because it's a great way to get young people on the, Young people on the, the campus who would otherwise not be there, and it you know it's a non scholarship program, so you can get some folks just like D two D two only has a few scholarships and NAIA similar, where you can get people on campus that might not otherwise be there. So you know, Thack, I see you out there. Let's have you join us, man. It's been a minute. Oh, howdy. Um, I was going to say there's a there's a bill coming through the California. Um, I think it's coming to the California Senate right now, but it would actually pay athletes directly, like as university employees. It would be the first bill that directly is intended to do that. Um, it's really interesting because California was kind of the state that started this whole NIL thing. They were way ahead of the legal curve on that. And so I think that if we're going to see um, athletes become university employees, it's going to be through that. I agree. And I, I that one actually it's so funny you brought that up. The same gentleman who uh, who had written that article um, that I mentioned for his uh, law review, he, he brought that up. And I was just like stunned when I heard that one, because if that manages to move through, that'll be something else. But also, um, I just want to go ahead and let that uh, uh, jump in. And we just let you up on stage. How are you doing, man? Doing wonderful, fellas. Uh, good to see you as always. And uh, happy to have uh, JD back uh Back in the uh, presenter seat, uh, it's been a while uh, since uh, since you joined us in the off season. But man, uh, yeah, just touching. That, I know you guys talked a little bit about it, but uh, yeah, yeah, uh, the Missouri uh, NIL law that that was just passed, and uh, obviously, I'm a big Mizzou fan, and um, I, I think it's uh, it's the the smartest play. It was lobbied by uh, by Coach Drinkwitz, of course, as well as uh, state senators uh, that enjoy in sports. Um, I, I think it's the uh, the right move for NIL, and it's gonna it's gonna be huge here in this 2024 recruiting class, especially with a super uh, super high amount of in-state talent coming out of Missouri, especially Ryan Wingo, the number two wide receiver slash number one in that 2024 class out of Slough High. 
could be the uh, the next loser burden for us. But uh, I, I think it's the the right play. It's just it's depressing that that that's what this has all come to. And um, Nick Saban said it. I mean, if uh, if this is the way you guys want to play, then you know it, it, it's uh, it, the game is going to change uh, immensely. And it's 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 a little bit frustrating. It's when you pass these sort of sweeping NIL legislation a couple of years ago, you sort of expected, okay, well, you know, the, the, the smaller players, you know, they're going to get a sponsorship from the local bar to get a, get a, a, a thicker kicker burger. And, uh, you know, some of the big guys might get Nike deals or something like that, but uh, it's just evolved into a complete booster land where we're creating crazy laws and uh, they, uh, you know, what do you, what do you expect to happen? Um, the other thing too that uh, I saw on the news recently that I'm I'm absolutely kind of loving. Uh, I know most people would hate it, but uh, I think it's pretty cool. Another uh, out of country game, possibly a Big Twelve bowl game in Mexico in Monterey. Uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of excited for that. I, I think um, I, I think the uh, the Irish game is super fun and super wacky and a uh, ton of fun. It was. Uh, course the uh the only game that uh a northwestern won uh i want to say yeah they season. were the irish national champs they won one game in ireland and didn't win any more that season yeah i mean it's it's i i kind of college football needs kind of this more wacky uh you know wacky things and obviously the teams aren't aren't um they're they're getting frustrated more people would like uh more home games and that's totally understandable you've got uh, the florida georgia um, world's largest outdoor cocktail party where people, fans on both sides have been calling for years just to get a home and home. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I like this. I, I think it's a lot cooler. Um, sad to... Uh, I, I mean, I think they just renewed the world's largest cocktail game, uh, outdoor cocktail party for uh, for a, a, another couple seasons, I want to say, in the new stadium. But uh, yeah, I know uh, that, that they're trying to push away from this uh, these neutral site games, and I, I think this will be a bowl game, if I'm not mistaken. Though, yeah, it'll be, yeah, this one in Monterey. I'm not sure if it's uh, yeah, exactly. It's a little vague right now. When they first, because Brett Yarmark, as we've said, I, I'm a big fan of his at the Big 12. They've been trying lots of radical new ideas because he came with someone who had been, you know, an exciting guy in, as an executive in the NBA, particularly with the New Jersey Nets. So he comes in and he's like, we're going to start all these crazy partnerships. Like that's why suddenly they had Streetwear Bathing Ape as like their sponsor for um, the championship game with a wacky logo in the middle of the of the state of the field. But yeah, so they, they mentioned, I think it was back in February that they were this was rumored to be coming out. And then it's it kind of got back in the news again. They basically established that, yeah, we are going to establish Big 12 Mexico immediately, and it makes sense logistically. It's easier. They're going to throw some basketball games, I believe, in, in uh, at least in Mexico City for sure. It's funny, though. Most people don't realize it's Monterey, which is a major city in Mexico. It's not a small city by any stretch. That's like uh, – it's the sec- it's almost like there's the college football heart of Mexico. They've got two great programs there. In fact, their reigning champs are Monterey Tech. Um, and obviously, it's not the, quite the same level. It's not like FBS football, but they're pretty good. Like if you watch it, it's it's solid football they play down there. Um, so they that's where they want to have a game. And I think it's it might just be um, trying to go back to some of those old '80s classics that were out in you know Japan and and other places. But this won't be too far away. I mean, Monterey is not far 
from the rest of uh, the Big 12 country and the rest of the United States, quite frankly. So it'll be interesting to see that. And I think that's, I mean, if you anyone who's been down in Mexico, Mexico, I've been in Mexico City recently, like there's a lot of hunger for Mexican football down there. So this should be uh, this should be a huge piece of it. I think it'll be nice to see how this develops out in the next couple of years. I think, again, basketball, they can get that moving pretty quickly. But football, I believe they're looking at aiming right now. Oh, yeah. And, and sorry, yeah, I just saw that update from Thamel that it was like the postseason of 2026 is when they were potentially looking, I guess, to do a bowl game. Um, but I, I know they were at one point even talking about a regular season game out there. So we'll see. I mean, yeah, I, 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 I did see that. I, I, I'm super uh, – I, I, I'm – uh, amazed is what what the Big Twelve is doing. I think they're trying something different. I know that um, obviously they know that uh, they're uh, they're uh, you know they don't have the crazy big names with Texas and Oklahoma again, and they've got to innovate and try something funky. And honestly, I really like the additions of BYU. Uh, I think is a great addition, and uh, and UCF. Um, I, I think it's funky and I think it's fun and I, I think it's going to be the uh, it's going to be like uh, the XFL 1.0. You know, it's going to be the extra fun league where they're trying uh, maybe not uh, to get instead of a coin toss, a scramble into the middle of the field from 20. <laughs> that was the away, first thing but... I thought about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's hilarious, but uh, maybe something a little more a little more subtle. And I'm, I'm all here for it. I think the Big 12 is going to be a fun, fun league to watch. Hey, Coach Clark, I see you're up here. What's going on? Well, I don't know. I think I sent you a message. I know you got a bunch of stuff going on. Uh, but, you know, I'm seeing with all this NIL stuff, I was I was teaching Steinbeck when I was subbing the other day, you know, Mice and Men. And it's a very pale look, look on capitalism. I found out that the author, you know, he was a member of a communist writers group, you know, in the 30s. But, uh, you know, one of the points was is that, you know, the, the, that the working class didn't have a lot of options. And now with the portal, one of the positives of the portal in this NIL stuff is you can go play for the highest bidder, I guess. And if you're not liking your situation, you can move. Um, something not, you know, there was just all this, this stuff going on on the Internet and the press about when Pat Nervuzzi called out crime. You know, I was think I think I sent you a message about that, you know, and I have respect for both coaches i've heard you know narduzzi talk it was a really pretty good clinic talk it made a lot of sense and i like a lot of what prime says especially when it comes to getting noticed by a coach when you go to a uh you know you go to a showcase or something like that but uh you know he's been getting a lot of heat because they've been really they've had a lot of player turnover what in business school they call turnover margin you know where you have a bunch of you know they have a bunch of players coming and going and you kind of got to do that if you're trying to change a culture sometimes it ha I went through that as a player, you know, we lost, I was playing at Tabor college, you know, in the 2009 season, we went, Oh, and 10, you know, and there was a lot of reasons for that. You know, it really wasn't practices weren't very productive. Guys were fighting all the time, calling each other names. There really wasn't an, uh, you know, we had a bunch of superstars, you know, and guys that really didn't play as a team and certain guys got special treatment and that, you know, while I'm, you know, playing defensive tackle, trying to run backwards on punt return team, which I'm not very good at, you know, there's guys that are sitting out half a practice and starting on Saturday. I mean, but so they rehire Coach Gardner. He comes back, and we start with 6 a.m. run, you know. And and during that, you know, when they he got hired back, a lot of guys transferred out. You know, there's, you know, the guys that were legit players, you know, 
you know, we stuck around. You know, my friend Joey Erickson that owns all of our passing records there. You know, a couple of backs, some of our offensive and defensive linemen, we stuck around. You know, you know, guys that are my friends for life. And, and you know, and the guys that were the favorites of the coach or their, you know, their their go to or the previous administration, they were all gone. You know, and if, so the people that stick around at Colorado, they're going to be the guys that buy into that. They're going to buy into what Prime wants to do, and it's very simple. You do what we ask you to do, and try to the best of your ability. You know, I mean, why are you going to keep someone around that isn't getting the job done? This is college football. This ain't a this ain't an after school program. You know. Yeah, I agree with all of that, and. Um... It's, uh, oh my goodness. Well, let's see here. You know, um, one thing I want to know, I know JD, you've got to, I just want to respect your time. I know you have a hard stop in about a couple of minutes. I just wanted to let you get in some final thoughts before we continue our conversation. Um, cause I don't need to wrap this up exactly at nine 30, but I want to, it was awesome to have you back up here. I know it's been a crazy, uh, couple of months for you. Yeah, absolutely. I certainly do appreciate it. And I know that we are uh, kind of in the doldrums of the offseason right now. We've got media days around the corner, so we'll be able to get our, uh, you know, our annual chirping in from uh, headlines that don't particularly matter. uh, But it's always the good fun anyway that lets us know that fall camp is on the way and football is on the way as well. So delighted to be back on here. And uh, just as a final plug for me, if anybody wants a beautiful condo in South Austin, please hit me up in the DMs. Uh, I am trying to sell. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That's a fun market down there. But uh, good luck, J.D. Thanks for joining us again uh, this week. My uh, one of my great co-hosts, along with with Sirius, which uh, Twitter apparently does not like to host him anymore. He's on he's on the platform, but the last time he tried to join me when I was down in Boston, like we were spending quietly 15 minutes of the show just trying to get him on, and for some reason, the system just didn't like him that day. But um, like you, JD, as do I in our audience. But uh, good luck with everything. Good luck with, uh, I know what it's like to be a parent of a young child, so it's it's not, not the, it, it can be an adventure. Yes, it can. On top of everything, this is everything else you've got going. You know, I want to just hit on a couple of other really quick topics before we wrap up here. Cause one of the things that I, this one came out last week, I believe it was an, uh, memo on Thursday of last week. Oh, pardon me. It was issued on Friday. Good old Friday news dump. The IRS, uh, important entity in any part of all of this has issued a memo that nonprofit NIL collectives are not tax exempt. So these memos, um, they're they're basically released by government entities. If you deal with you, if you deal with any government agency, you know how important that is. When they drop a memo, it's basically like, "Here are our thoughts on this. You need to know about it." It's so funny. I also associate this with things that have uh, messed with the crypto community. I'm not a crypto person myself, but every time you know they're they're thinking they have one thing, something gets dropped. I don't know if there's a connection, but I just thought I'd mention that. So the IRS has dropped a 12-page memo that basically says that um, uh, NIL collectives will not be able to deduct those who donate to them, even though these collectives may have 501c3 status. The actual donations that are going to some of these will not be considered tax deductible. Now, there's a lot of wiggle room there. Anyone who knows tax law, um, anyone who knows the CPA knows that there's a billion ways to work around a lot of the things that the IRS says. Um, So... We'll see where this goes, but the reason it kind of becomes important 
is actually, again, Texas A&M, who seems to lead the charge on things that kind of make people uh, raise their eyebrows. Nonprofit collectives, you know, um, Texas A&M announced their 12th Man Foundation, a very well-established nonprofit. They created the 12th Man Plus Fund to provide NIL opportunities. And the problem is that one really does start to blur on what's happening on behalf of the institution. Um, and Texas A&M was believed to be the first school to have an official athletic booster organization do the fundraising for NIL versus a separate collective altogether. So that's why they've become such a they've, it, they've notably not sponsored an athlete like this yet, even though they announced it a while back in February, because I think people are they The thought is that they are trying to be careful if this is not going to pass muster, they don't accidentally create a havoc at a problem that at a program that has a lot of money and a lot of um, a lot of stress um, based on what goes on the field and off the field. So this new letter uh, memo from the uh, IRS is going to be one of those things that we're going to be hearing about, I think, in the background, particularly if it starts to have a cooling effect on some of those that are donating to these NIL collectives that are saying it's tax, dedu tax deductible. Um, so we'll see how that moves forward because this has been just an exciting time. I mean, even though it's so funny, JD, as he was heading out, said that we're in the doldrums. I'm like, normally this would be the doldrums, but all this NIL stuff out of nowhere has just absolutely made this one of the weirdest, uh, I mean, inexplicable at, um, off seasons. It's, it's kind of killing time for us while we wait to see if there is going to be any solid news from the Pac-12 on that meteorites deal. I, and speaking of which, I have to still touch on this. There was a great quote out there from the uh, president of the University of Arizona on their TV deal. With the quote, we're not going to get a Big Ten deal. We're not even going to get, we're not going to, he didn't say we're not even, we're not going to get an SEC deal. But if we finish third in these sweepstakes, I've never thought that winning the bronze medal was a great aspirational goal. But if we win a bronze medal, I think we'd all declare victory. That is 100%, I think, how most people would view that. And that was uh, tweeted out by Ross Dellinger back uh, a little, almost a week ago. But, um, yeah, it's a race for third. And, and you're hearing it from a, a Pac-12 president. They're waiting to see if their meteorites deal will beat the, uh, I believe it's like 31.7 mil that the uh, Big 12 is offering. Or at least be close enough to make a team jumping ship not quite as attractive for all the other headaches it might cause. Um, we'll see. Colorado keeps coming up uh, as an idea that they might return and to say nothing else about the rest of the uh, border states. But we'll see where that goes. So I just want to thank everyone who joined us. Obviously, Coach Clark, it's always great to have you up here. Thack, it's always great to have you up here. I see our good friend uh, Quinshawn is him. I apologize we didn't get to you tonight, next week, hopefully. And it was great to have my regular co-host, JD, um, who was able to come up and join us again. So on behalf of all of us here at RCFB, myself here in Vancouver uh, on holiday, this is Bob Akkayeri. This was RCFB Talk 143. We'll be here every Tuesday night. So I hope you all have a great rest of your week. Let's see what happens in the offseason. I'm going to hang up now and listen.